Hello everyone, welcome to Cryptario Weekly Podcast of Everything Disability. With us tonight is Amy and we're very happy to welcome back Craig Wallace. Thank you, Jonathan, for having us on the show. And yeah, welcome to the show, uh, Craig Wallace. G'day, pleased to be here. Always great to join you guys. Thank you. So, Jonathan, what are we going to be talking about today? Today, we're going to be talking about housing. Housing, interesting. accessible housing. Yes, so housing, uh, I heard that Craig Wallace is a man of knowledge when it comes to housing. So tell us, Craig, what's the update on housing? There's been a big week for housing um, <laughs> all around Australia. There's been bits of really bad news, but also some some good news. So on um, Thursday, we had the Anglicare uh, produce an annual report, which they do of the affordability of rental housing to people around Australia. And what that showed was there is is barely any housing in Australia that is affordable to people on any kind of income support, be it job seeker or youth allowance or the disability support pension. I think for many of your listeners, what, you know, this sort of means is that for people with disabilities, we often lack the ability to afford housing but also we lack housing that really works for us um, in terms of being accessible, um, particularly on the rental market. There just isn't any supply of accessible housing that has um, ramps, has accessible toilets, um, is has level design or can even be adapted um, for people as they're ageing. The construction ministers from around Australia met today earlier today and actually um, had a discussion through National Cabinet about whether to include mandatory requirements for accessible housing in what's called the National Construction Code. And so it's a bit dry, but basically they've agreed to uh, do that for the first time in Australia by a majority vote. So it means we're likely to see uh, regulation happening that requires there to be accessible housing um, in Australia to this silver standard. So it means level entrance ways, no steps, bathroom being built in such a way that it can be modified. And I, I think this is a real breakthrough. Like it's something that we've all been campaigning on for you know, over since I've been involved in the sector, so over 25 years. And mm-hmm. uh, what it means is well, a couple of things. I think we've all experienced as, as disabled people how isolating it is 
to not be able to even visit someone's home for dinner because, you know, yeah. their house has got a step and it's it's tricky and you'll be carried up it. Like, it's, exactly. that's a bad thing. Exactly. Especially when you've got um, mates or, yeah, friends who live uh, in apartments. They yeah. live on the, on the 10th floor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes it impossible. Yeah, yeah it makes it's, it's, it's really isolating. It's also it's also dangerous, like for older people. Um, and there's going to be a lot more people over eighty five um, in Australia as kind of the population ages. Is the amount of people that wind up in hospitals because uh, they have a fall, a slip, trip in a bathroom, is a huge uh, human cost, but a cost for the whole. Um, country. So if we can finally see that fixed through regulation, I mm. think that's that's a huge um, achievement um, for the disability community. Doing it voluntarily simply hasn't worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I I know there's a there's a the specialist disability accommodation is all right, the SDA housing, yeah. and also the support of the independent living. Correct me if I'm wrong. Are there still housing? So, what exactly is the difference between the two? Uh, yeah, you, you got me there. But I mean, what I can say generally is the the NDIS wasn't designed to directly cover the costs of construction of housing. So it's oh, kind okay. of like a principle that it only provides like the disability supports for people. But I, I think as they started kind of thinking about this and trying to work through it they realise that actually you can't support people to be independent in the community unless you have, and there's so little housing out there in the market, that you have to start investing in housing. So the mm -hmm. SDA is the NDIS's way of mm -hmm. investing in housing so that we can start to get people, um, particularly out of group environments and institutions. And those are bad places. Like, the idea that you should have to live somewhere simply to to receive disability support, I, I think, is is awful. Like we know from the the Royal Commission on Disability Abuse that these are places where um, there is is rape, sexual assault, and violence, and that's because you know nobody else would choose to live with people that they don't know or choose to be with simply because they have a disability. We don't ask that of any other group of the, in the community with the exception of students sometimes, but they only do it for a while, or people in nursing homes that, that have to do it. We've all seen what happens in the Aged Care um, Royal Commission. So housing's really underpinning. You know, it's like, it's like transport or infrastructure. It's one of those things where if it's not right in your life, you don't have a good home, you can't hope to have the rest of the supports almost don't matter. So the SDA and SIL is, is part of that. I'm, there's some quite interesting um, SDA projects cropping up where I live in in Canberra. Um, some of them linked with assistive technology are seeing, you know, people get into high-quality housing uh, that doesn't look like an institution for the first time in our lives. I think we need to keep a real eye on housing in the NDIS and that we don't get new types of institutions um, coming through. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Sorry, yeah, John. I would just like to make the point that the anti-Aryatoni covers about ten percent of people with disabilities with permanent and significant disability. So more generally about disability policy I don't like the approach from government saying the NDIS is here, it will fix it all. We need our to be recognized as a human right. It is not a luxury item. Yeah, yeah. But, like, you only said 10%. Is that it? Yes. Wow, that's a, that is a low number, one. Wow. Ten percent. Yeah, I think they need to improve from their service. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, like I mean, just just I totally agree with Jonathan. Like, I think that the reality is that too many people with disabilities are actually homeless. Like, if you think about Mm -hmm. it, if if you are not in housing that is suitable for you, if you can't fully make use of the bathroom or the kitchen, you are. like a homeless person, like in the sense yeah. that you don't have housing that actually works for you and is fit for you and that people can become homeless in their housing because the house remains the same but your disability um, can change, can get worse. And I yeah. know of people here in the ACT, we've had a story on the, the front cover of our Canberra City News, which is one of our sort of local um, sort of newspapers here, of a person in a scooter who couldn't get out of their own front door because the dimensions of the front door were narrower than the scooter that they'd been bought or they couldn't actually heat up a cup of soup on on the stove or couldn't fully wow. use the bathroom without care and support. So it's incredibly mm. limiting. Um, that we don't have this right. And we're absolutely right that the NDIS does not cover, uh, I don't know about 10%, but it certainly doesn't cover a lot of people with disabilities who still need things like community transport, like assistance with meals, like people who've got episodic disabilities that need some support coming in, and we can't let state governments off the hook because they provide those things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, it's ridiculous. Uh, like you said, you want to you want to buy a house. I uh, say so that you can be comfortable 
living in it. And so having those restraints, uh, yeah, we're still not improving on, you know, the inclusion and accessibility for everyone. It needs to be put out there. People need to be, have access to everything. Um, no one should be, uh, should be, I guess, uh, isolated or neglected. It's it's it is what it is, but the government needs to, you know, improve on their on their service, on their on the way they they handle things. I'm, I'm just wondering, uh, especially for the the first um, time buyers, if uh, people like uh, young people want to buy a house and they just you know got out of school and stuff. It's, the reality is that they can't afford it because it's like hundreds of thousands of dollars. So how, how, how do they um, get into the, I guess, the market? And it, I'm talking about people with disability because I know it's already a struggle for people without a disability. But if you want to throw in people with disability in there as well, it makes it even harder. So, I don't know. How does it work? Well, it does. So, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely spot on. So, like, the, the kind of the entry point for, if you look at your average quarter acre block now in yeah. any capital city, you are talking about and those, those big auctions that you probably see that happen on, on a Saturday. And I've seen reports of some of them in Sydney. You know, you've got places that are going for two to three million dollars and they're not they're not really very good places like pretty, pretty ordinary um sort of terrace houses um in the yeah, capital and, uh, and not many people graduate from school with uh, two uh, or three million dollars in their pocket no so they mortgage they the mortgage themselves to the hilt or they decide to keep renting and so i kind of i think that there's a couple of dimensions this in in the city that I'm in, in the ACT, yep. what, what the entry point is for those first home buyers, right, is, yep. the, is the apartment blocks. So everybody is building higher and denser. And you've got product that is on the market for uh, sort of, you know, between two to 300 grand. You can actually get a one-bedroom apartment here in Canberra. So people are using that as an entry point to the market. But it's mm. if you're a person with a disability you're not going to be wanting to live on a house that is involves an elevator and is up, uh, you know, unless you've got a lot of supports yeah. um, coming in that you're taking a risk actually doing that. Yeah. Um, so, so that's an issue. I actually think we need more what's called community housing. So that is housing that is run by not-for-profit community agencies where government provides some of the land um, for free, but we also need more housing that is available to rent at a cheaper price. So building to rent, they have a big market of this in, in Europe where people actually build housing that is specifically about it being rented through your lifetime. And the deal is, you know, you build your tower, but the expectation is that at least some of that is set aside for affordable housing 
so that people on lower incomes have got somewhere to live and it's mixed in creating i'm support public housing but creating these bigger states all around australia that are just public housing is is not a solution on its own we need more public housing but it it needs to be salt and peppered and we need more community housing that is for the missing middle in where i live like there's people that are on two incomes who are working still can't afford to break into the market if you're a teacher wow. or a community worker or part-time just doesn't work wow so you got to over time yeah sorry Jonathan. i'm just I'd agree that, um, if you want me to talk to that, uh, but that's a risk. I, I think that there's probably two, two elements to that, that um, with what they've adopted in terms of the guidelines, the, the standards for, for housing now, a lot of it is features that you build into the design that make it easier to change it later on if somebody needs it to be fully accessible. So it might be ensuring that you build you don't build a supporting wall between the bathroom and the between the shower and the toilet so if you remove the wall uh, the house falls down like it's doing stuff that makes it easier to adapt later on um, without having to spend a lot of money the evidence is that it's about 22 times more expensive um to renovate something later on to make it accessible than it is to build the features um, up front. But I think there's a kind of issue about the fact that we haven't had regulation in this space. We've only had, like, voluntary guidelines has meant mm. that nobody knows what to do 
so we're in this kind of shadow lens between where people kind of are saying, well, there's, there's probably going to be regulations down the track, but nobody knows what they're going to be and what they are. So we'll just keep doing the same stuff that we're already doing and we won't adopt it at all. It's always mystified me why in a country where we've got a $22 billion or so in the US, where we've got rapid numbers of people who are ageing and who clearly need housing that works for them, and these are people who've got money, they're baby boomers, why isn't the market just doing this itself? Like it's, mm. it's mystifying, and I think that's because we actually haven't said what do these people need to do. So I hope there's some of that, and I hope it starts to get into the market, and then it becomes cheaper for community housing providers to buy some of that stock as it's mm. it's sold on, um, but it's it's not without... It's not without a cost. It's probably not totally um, without some some risk. I think that the community housing providers that I've seen are pretty pretty good at designing for accessibility. But I'd be, be interested to hear if that's not your experience. Mm-hmm. Well, I've only had one egg. Experience of being offered a house for me when I initially saw the place, me and my family had an OT assessment and we point by point made a report saying the house needed to be modified in this and this way. But when we went into signing the agreement and said we wanted to modify the house that certain provider which I will mention their name withdrew the agreement. So I think they need to be generally a changing thinking for some of these housing provided to take this person centered concept from 
the NDIS put into community housing. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, why shouldn't people with disabilities, like, other people when they're building a house, they'll often you see it on these grand designs shows, you know, and you know the shows where they do a big makeover of the uh, um, house, like somebody will have a big dream of turning a turning a monastery or a barn or something into their dream house. Like those yeah. people have a vision of what's the kind of place that I want to live in that would work for me, and I think too often we accept this idea that we should live in cookie-cutter places that all, you know what I mean, like that all look the same and all yeah, have yeah. the same features and it's okay whether it provided it's accessible, it doesn't matter if it doesn't get good sunlight um, in the house during the day or it doesn't have good Wi-Fi or it's not in a good place with good what I'd call sort of community infrastructure, so like access yeah. around it, like it matters... We've all got to know, I think because of COVID, partly, that it really matters. Your home matters to you, where you live, because you're potentially going to be spending a hell of a lot of time um, in it. A lot more of us are, are working from home and doing the stuff we need to do from home. But the, the neighbourhood around you matters as well. A kind of 500-metre pattern, like having accessible walkways, living near some shops that you can get to, um, or on foot, on wheel, or whatever, um, that that stuff all matters and that we need to actually be partners in designing the places that we want to live in because there is nothing worse than... And I've lived in some shocking places um, because I've had a disability. I've, I've lived in group homes, I've been in institutions, wow. been in just crappy student housing in my life. I mean, we've, we've all been in bad places, but... There is nothing worse than going back to a place at the end of the day and not feeling comfortable there. So you're, you're totally spot on. Like, we need to have this. And that includes community housing. Yeah. Thank you. So clean. Let's just say the best case you? The code is introduced. You know, what do you think are the nice doing these the government to look Beyond the NDIS and actually find more stock and when do you see that coming from state or federal? Yeah, yeah. Look, that's a very, really good question. I'd like, I'd like to say 
the fight's all over and they're just going to do it, but I, I don't think they will. So mm. um, my understanding is the Commonwealth had to be kind of dragged to the to the table today and they just kind of, it was a majority vote of the states that decided this. So I, I think, and I, I, I need to qualify this by saying I've only just heard the announcement in the last two hours, so I'm still getting across the detail of it and we don't know all of the detail, but my understanding is they've left it to the individual states and territories to decide um, how they do this regulation mm -hmm. to the silver standard um, of livable housing. So there's going to be, need to be an advocacy, a, a bit of advocacy work done um, in each state and territory to ensure that the local building regulations um, include requirements um, for livable design, there is no reason why uh, states couldn't decide to actually do a bit more than the national agreement. Like if we go to gold standard um, in some of the construction that we're doing. So uh, I think that there is going to need to be a continued fight on our hands in this. But what has changed is they can no longer use the lack of regulation as an excuse not to do it. Like what used to happen is you'd go to state governments and say you should put something like regulation for housing and for building is a state government matter under the constitution and some local governments have got controls as well. And what used to happen is you'd go to your state and local government and say you should do this and they'd go, well, we're waiting to see what the National Construction Code looks like. Well, they've no longer got that excuse. So I think now at a minimum, we should be demanding that, that all public housing that is built anywhere in Australia needs to meet high levels of accessibility. Uh, I think that there should be retrofitting programs of all the public housing. It should be a minimum expectation for, this is my personal view, not view of the organisation I work for, but there should be, um, you know, really high expectations of community housing providers in this space and governments should be saying as they release land for development and build new suburbs, so what we call, you know, greenfield sites, which is basically where governments say we'll release a, a parcel of land. I don't know what land we're releasing in New South Wales, but I'd be somewhere out of sight of Campbelltown or whatever. As we release that land, we will have a requirement that people will build housing and that some of that should be affordable housing and all of it should be meeting these requirements for accessibility. And when that happens, we will start to see a paradigm kick where there is so much accessible housing out there that the developers just go, well, this is a norm now. This is like building... Uh, making sure the sewage is connected or we have energy sustainability ratings built in. Like, this needs to become business as usual practice. Like, you, you wouldn't build um, a house now in public, but you'd get sued for it in trouble. On a swamp where there were water drainage issues, accessibility needs to become a thing we just do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, it's very informative, very informative indeed. Uh, thank you, Greg. Uh, yeah, uh, 
Do you have any questions, uh, Jordan? Just for you, have you ever thought about moving out and what are the for you? Well, yeah, look, I, I, I would like to move out sometime in the future in case I do want to, like, uh, you know, start my own family and stuff. Um, I, I think it's important that, uh, yeah, um, that I, I come from a cultural uh, background. And usually, when it comes to uh, culture, moving out of home for physical disability is seen as uh, a barrier itself. So, yeah, look, uh, it's just a matter of time. I would like to move out one day. And yeah, uh, what about you, Jonathan? What's your situation like? Well, my situation is a bit more complex because I have both a physical and a psychosocial oh, wow. disability. So, did I start my to move out of home? I guess my observation was it happened so quickly and so suddenly that it created so much stress that it drove me to an episode. So, and this is not a criticism of the housing provider, but I think as a society, we need to think, yes, it's good that people all being offered housing. But how do we take a holistic approach which respects the human and disability 
know how much of that is about um, what's kind of going on around your house. So the people that you live with, knowing people in your neighbourhood, being near shops and and public transport that you can get on. Like it's my kind of thinking is it's not just about the, the house itself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all about the location, you know, what's convenient, where's, uh, yeah, well, everything around you is accessible, you know, there's many factors that come into play. Yeah, but... Yeah. So I, I should tell you about where I live. So I live in a, um, a sort of mixed-use, I, I rent my place, and mm -hmm. I live in sort of mixed-use development, so at a set of shops, so... I won't name them, but they are, and it started off really good because I had like a general store. I could yes. literally wheel over to and do all my business. Um, believe it or not, they actually, uh, a wheelchair repair place opened up in the set of uh, shops that I'm near and within <laughs> um, about a year after I moved in. So a wheelchair would break and I'd kind of, push it out the front door and ring them up and say, here you go, go and fix it. And oh, so that, that all seemed like I, I thought, I thought I'd run the lottery. And like a good stop. <laughs> and the places all started going broke and the shops wow. degraded as happens to centres sometimes. So we're mm. about to lose our local store and all of these um, allied health businesses like physios and um, a poodle parlor and place wow. selling um, juggling gear for circuses, like all these weird shops opened up where I live. And so I'm now kind of like, um, yeah, there's shops around me, but they don't offer anything I can actually use. Like they're all kind of useless. So it, it kind of speaks to me about how areas can change around us over time and how you, where you live is only as good as the stuff that is is around you for instance during COVID I live near near a doctor's surgery was the other thing and during COVID there were all these people turning up and wanting COVID tests oh. and with masks and the full carry-on and I was just like I just don't want to go out my door so I just shut the yeah, door yeah. and locked myself in for three months and wow. it kind of speaks to me about yeah like it actually your life the quality of life you have depends a lot about on how close you are to good amenities you know a bit of green space and places you can use and buy groceries and and connect with other people and connecting with you with your neighbors and i must admit my area is is mixed for that and things like like soundproofing in the house that you're in you know if you've got bad neighbors i think that's that's another problem yeah that people with disabilities have like if you've got a neighbor that, you, that you're really not getting on with the reality is the only thing you can do is often move but for people yeah. with disabilities we're often stuck in the places that we live in so if we don't get on with people we don't have choices out there in the housing so we can't just pick up and suddenly go somewhere else we tend to be stuck in the places that we're we're in and the most miserable time in my life was when i was in a place at the bottom floor and the, the neighbor up top was 
annoyed by any sound, like the sound of my alarm clock would set her off and she'd make complaints. And, I mean, it might have been, I don't know if it was justified, it didn't feel like it was, but the point of this long anecdote was to say that, that I think there's a real story around us not having that choice of being able to escape bad situations and that your housing can determine your well-being. And I just remember being at my wit's end, like it kind of felt like you were on edge that you might annoy this person every time I went home. I've got a lot of sympathy for people who don't feel like they're in the right housing. It's about what it just what the walls look like. Yeah. Wow. Very insightful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think she liked my music very much. <laughs> no, no, I, I like quiet. I like quiet. But, you know, that, that was very, yeah, very uh, informative. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing with us, uh, Craig. Yeah, no worries. Would does anyone have any final thoughts before we wrap Then I look at, yeah, um, it was very, I guess, a great hearing from you, Craig, and yeah, I've processed some information on housing and whatnot. Um, so yeah, once again, Thank you very much, Craig. Thank you for being on the show tonight. Yeah, uh, lovely to be with you guys. And um, I'm, I'm always interested to hear this when it comes um, up on a Friday or Saturday night. Like, it's um, you're, you're doing really, really good work with this podcast. <laughs> so pleased to be um, to be part of it. And let's, yeah, let's keep up the advocacy on issues like housing. And happy to come back and and chat re NDIS when we've got a bit of a more of an idea of what's going on. Sounds good, sounds good. Thank you very much. Okay, yeah. cheers. Thank you. Uh, Jonathan, you just you want to wrap it up? Well, let me just say something to have sound like you is a former PWDA president and has done so much for our community. On the podcast, just chosen me and Evie was an impact this podcast has so thank you. Yeah. Thank great, you great, to, great to be here. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you, Craig. Uh, and I guess you will 
Thank you guys. Bye.